0: Guessing by now that you're probably all pretty much ready for Christmas, right? I mean, I, I, I hope so. Uh, you know, because ready or not, here it comes. You know? If you're looking for a, a last minute gift idea, I can help you. See, so you can pick up an ornament, you can pick up a gift card. You can give a donation in honor of the recipient of these things and you can help some children along the way. It's pretty simple, it's pretty easy, isn't it, Jody? It is. It is. Very it's very easy. So we got we got plenty if you're not quite ready for Christmas. So I know some of you here, probably most all of you here, are ready for Christmas now. Certainly we are. Jerry and I, we're pretty much ready. We've you know had the Christmas lights out for a while, we've decorated our tree. We got some manger scenes adorning the house. We have bought our Christmas gifts. Most of them are wrapped. And we have plans for Christmas Day. 32 people are gonna be at our house on Christmas Day. Seven of our nine children, 12 of our 14 grandchildren, Jerry's folks, uh, some family friends as well. we've got our plans ready to go. I I think we're ready. I think we're ready here at church too for tomorrow night's Christmas Eve services. I think we're ready, I mean, the bulletins are all folded thanks to the 30 something people who showed up and folded thousands and thousands of bulletins last Thursday. I know the music's ready, it's gonna be inspiring, the decorations are out there, beautiful, the candles are ready for our candlelight service, I've written my sermons for tomorrow night, so I think we're ready. But all I have left to do is go through the checklist to make certain that I haven't forgotten anything. And I don't think I've forgotten anything. Have I forgotten anything? Have, have you forgotten anything? Well, maybe have that question in mind as we listen to scripture. Mark, will you read for us?
1: Today's scripture comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Many years ago
0: now, I I read a great sermon by Dr. Fred Craddock entitled, Have You Ever Heard John Preach? And ever since then, that sermon has influenced how it is that I hear and think about this particular scripture. So I just want to acknowledge the, his influence in how it is that I approach this text. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O Lord, our God, our rock and our redeemer, amen. So are you ready for Christmas? Is everything ready? Have you forgotten anything? Another way to ask that question, have you ever heard John preach? Now John was Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. His mother was Elizabeth, his father Zachariah. Elizabeth was Jesus' mother's cousin, so they were family. In many ways, John, who was born six months before Jesus, in many ways, the course of his life was set from the day he was born. It was almost as if he came into this world walking right out of the pages of the Old Testament. It becomes clear by the time he's an adult. The things that he says, the things that he does, the way that he looked, It was like Elijah, one of the great prophets of Israel. He was kind of a strange dude, though. I mean, he lived a very simple life out in the desert. He never cut his hair, never trimmed his beard. He wore camel skin, which couldn't be that comfortable. And he ate locusts and honey. I'm thinking it took a lot of honey to get the locust down. You like locust? Okay. It's alright. And what he did in the wilderness was preach. He'd pull up a stone as his pulpit, the, the stars in the night sky as his altar candles, the river Jordan as his baptismal, he would preach. And he must have been a great preacher. He must have been riveting as a preacher because people would come. They'd come from long distances, sometimes traveling for days to hear John preach. And they never missed the point because John never mixed any words. He would get to the heart of the matter. He would get to the very, very heart of the matter. Repent, he would preach. So the Messiah is coming. Repent. And people listened and they responded and they asked, What do we need to do? And he would say to them, Well, share. If you have more food than you need, share it with people who don't have enough. If you have extra clothing, share it with people who need clothing. Share. To a tax collector, he said, Stop stealing. To another, he said, stop intimidating other people. To all, he said, repent. Anybody who would listen to him, he would say, repent, repent. He was quite the preacher, quite the preacher. At times, I think he could be a little intimidating. I mean, he would say, brood of vipers. He'd say things like, even now the ax is laid at the root of the tree. He'd say, don't presume to claim Abraham as your ancestor because God can bring descendants of Abraham out of these very stones. He would say, the winnowing fork is in his hand. Wheat and chaff, save the wheat, burn the chaff. Repent, repent. And the people, they would listen. And they would respond when he would give the invitation to step down into Jordan to have their sins washed away. People would come, they'd step down into the Jordan River, not because he had terrified them, but, but because there was something about his preaching. It was like he could usher a person into the very presence of God. And this John, he could preach. He could usher people into the very presence of Almighty God which is something that we want. But i got to tell you, it might very well be something that we don't want. And here's what I mean by that. In the, in the presence of God, well, the light is different. The light of God is different than the light of this world. The light of God illumines everything, and I mean everything, the light of this world dims in comparison, very, very dim. In the dim light of this world, it's easy for us to compare ourselves to other people and come out looking pretty darn good. It's easy to start thinking that God must grade on a curve. And, and while we may not be perfect, we're a whole lot better than a lot of other folks that we know. I mean, we're in church. We're trying to do the good thing. We're a whole lot better than a lot of other folks, so we must be making the grade. No reason for much change. We must be making the grade. And then we find ourselves standing in the light of God. And things look a little different there. For one thing, we find out that God doesn't grade on a curve because there's nobody to compare yourself to there in the light of God. It's just your life. Nobody to compare yourself to but Jesus, and we don't want to do that. And there in the light of God, Uh, Well, the light illumines everything, everything. Those deep secrets that have been buried away within us, they're ever before us. The brokenness and the bitterness that can be in our heart, it's there for us to see. Our thoughts, our self-deceptions, our prejudices, it's all right there. It's our life, and we can see it. It's like a moment of truth. And there's no more whining, and there's no more pointing fingers, and there's no more complaining because it's your life. It's my life that's there to see. And in this moment of truth, when we realize that there's nobody else that we can compare ourselves to to make ourselves look a little better? Well, it's kind of like having dreamed of living in a palace, only to wake up and find out that the roof is leaking. and There's a rat gnawing away inside one of the walls, and the rent is due. This John, he could preach. I mean, he, he could really preach, ushering people into the very presence of Almighty God. You know how it is, how we live our lives. I mean, we want to serve God, right? We want to serve God, but there's other forces that are at work in our lives, too, And so sometimes we say things like, I'm going to do this for God, but we never get around to doing this. And other times we say, I am never going to do that again, and we end up doing the very thing that we said we would not do. It's like we get caught between the sky of our good intentions and the mud, the reality of our lives. It's like we get caught, caught's maybe the wrong word, crucified, convicted, convicted between the sky of our good intentions and the mud, the reality of our own lives. It's a moment of truth and it's something that we want and it's something that we do not want. And We want it because the truth will set us free and how our spirits long to be set free from the stuff that pulls us down into the mud. But it's something that we don't want because it convicts us and it points out there's things in our life that need to change. And well, even as uncomfortable as the mud may be, it's our mud, we've learned to live in it, do we really want to change? Do we really want to change? People came to hear John preach. Some of them, some of them, they wanted their spirits to be set free. So they stepped down into the water and they were baptized. Others, they didn't want to hear it anymore. They didn't want to change anything. So they silenced his voice. But we know you can't silence the truth. And we know that nothing that anybody could do could change the fact that this John could preach he could preach. When I mean, you ever heard John preach? It was good. It was so, so good as he'd usher you into the very presence of God. And there, not only would we see ourselves for who we are, for what we have become, but there in the light of God, we would see something of of who God is, too. And it was good. He'd say, repent, repent. Not because he's trying to beat people up, but because he's trying to show people that there was this opportunity before them, an opportunity to experience some forgiveness, an opportunity to experience some new life, an opportunity for their spirits to be set free. It's like there in the light of God, not only do we see something of our own lives for who we are and what we've become but we also see something of the truth of God how it is that God loves us what God is willing to do for us and how in God's eyes we are saints because of what Christ has done wards and all we are saints What a gift it is that's being offered. And so John tried to prepare people for Christmas, for this gift that they would receive, this gift that's being offered of our spirits set free, of new life, and of forgiveness. This John, he could preach. His words, they were about the most refreshing thing you would ever hear. He'd say, the Messiah is near. The Messiah is right next door. The kingdom of God, it has come. And it was exciting and it was exhilarating. And he would say, repent, confess your sins, confess your need, confess your bitterness, confess your brokenness, confess your disillusionments and your disappointments. Confess your brokenheartedness. Confess the stuff that has you stuck in the mud of life. Confess that and hold it up to God so you can receive this gift. And the gift, the forgiveness, the healing. Scriptures say it's like new life. It's like new birth. What a gift. What a gift it is. It's like snow. Snow. You wake up in the morning, you look out the window, and you see that it snowed all night long. A blanket of snow, six inches of snow has fallen, and as you look out the window, you can see this blanket of snow for as far as you can see, and there's not a mark on it anywhere. You look out to the curb where the night before you had placed the garbage cans full of the garbage of your life, that stuff that you'd just as soon not have with you. And you look out to that place where those garbage cans had been, and instead of seeing these ugly cans, what you see is a mound of glory glistening in the morning sun. It's amazing how beautiful God can work within our lives. And what beauty God can bring, even of the mess of our lives. John the Baptist, he preached, preparing the way for us to receive this glorious, this beautiful gift. Thanks be to God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.